Get back in control with Off the Wagon, adventures in emotional eating, health, and weight loss. Each episode containing fork-sized mindset tweaks, perspective shifts, and lifestyle hacks to get you back on the wagon. Whether it's habit change, emotional eating, addictions, weight loss, willpower, or relationships, there's something here for you. So let's get on the wagon and get down the road to your goals with me, Christy R. Hall. Welcome to episode 23, where this week we're continuing our discussion on self-sabotage. This is such an important topic because this self-sabotage is what keeps us from the very things we desire in life. That promotion, a healthy relationship, even health and weight loss. And let's face it, going through life trying to cope with all we have to do, living up to all the standards we face, accomplishing all the things we think we're supposed to, all while making an attempt to restrict calories and restrain our wants and desires, that's really hard. And because we keep trying and then keep failing, we might be tempted to believe that we must not want it very much or that it must not be important to us. And while that is sometimes the case, it's not always. But like we talked about last week, this self-sabotage is likely due to an inner conflict we have going on inside us. Last week, we talked about needs conflicts, like being hungry physically, but not having the time to eat, or perhaps being hungry but forgetting your healthy lunch at home and only having a buck fifty in your wallet. That creates the conflict of needing to eat versus the desire to eat healthy and stick to your plan. Another example was needing to stay away from sugar, but this also applies to dairy or gluten or nuts, and getting peer or even family pressure to eat the prepared foods at a party or a gathering. This creates a conflict between doing what's best for your health and your social needs. While these sorts of needs-based conflicts may provide us with much distress and anxiety, generally, they're easier to resolve than the other type of conflict we discussed, belief conflicts. The reason why these belief-based conflicts are harder to resolve is because many times we struggle to realize that we even have them. And in other cases, if they're pointed out to us, We deny that we have the problem at all. This is because the beliefs are hidden deep in our subconscious and in many cases weren't even put there or installed by us. They may have been given to us by well-meaning caregivers who wanted us to do well or be well or be successful. Most people don't realize, however, that unlike your conscious mind, your subconscious mind never sleeps. It's never turned off. And your subconscious mind has stored everything you have ever learned or ever experienced, no matter how insignificant or minuscule. And it's all stored in your mind somewhere, just in case you need it later. And this includes all of your reactions to the various things you've experienced throughout life. It's important to realize that from birth until about the age of eight, we are in a constant and continual hypnotic trance. Now that may sound kind of scary, but it's not. 
Hypnosis is a completely natural state and is required to learn. And what are you doing most of when you're that young? Learning. You're learning how the world works and what the expectations the world and its rulers, namely your parents and your teachers, have for you. You've probably heard about how impressionable children are, right? And if you have children, you know how careful you have to be about your behavior and your language because children, learning machines that they are, pick those things up so quickly. And just as children pick up positive behaviors and associations, they can just as easily pick up and assimilate negative thoughts and beliefs about themselves based on what they see and hear and feel around them. Many of the false things you think and believe about yourself now may in fact be a result of words and phrases that you heard when you were a child. These false thoughts become beliefs or personal truths that later dictate how we live our lives and the glass ceilings we tend to find ourselves living under. To be clear, we all have some form of limiting or untrue belief about ourselves or our reality. No one is immune, not even the most successful among us. I've gotten lots of notes and emails from folks after last week's podcast asking for more details about these conflicts. So today I wanted to see if we can help you uncover some of your unconscious or hidden limiting beliefs that are creating the conflicts that are the basis of your self-sabotage. So make sure that you've got some paper and a pen or your phone and a note app or however you want to get these things down. And we're going to start this exercise with some questions and they're designed to make you think a minute. First, we want to highlight some of the positive aspects or benefits of keeping our unwanted weight or continuing with our emotional eating habits and behaviors. Many people will say there are no benefits, but dig deeper. If there were no benefits, if you got absolutely nothing from it, you wouldn't continue doing it. So, what are the positive benefits of this weight? What are the positive benefits of staying the same? And that is continuing with your emotional eating or binge eating. Here are some things that you may be thinking or just some prompts that may get you started. It's easier because it's what you know. You may have family members or friends that do it. Eating sweets or salty things tastes good. Eating a lot makes you feel like you finally got enough or that you got your fair share or that you got what was yours. What are you not required to do because of your unwanted weight? What are you able to avoid doing? What foods do you justify because of your weight? And that is, what can slim people not eat? And those are just starter questions. You may have some of your own, and these may prompt you to come up with other ideas. Now we want to focus on the negative things that would happen if you were to lose 
or release the unwanted weight or finally master your emotional eating. So what would be expected of you if you were to release the weight? Would you be expected to do more yard work, more housework? Would you be expected to work more hours? Would you be expected to do more, dress differently, act differently, be more outgoing? Again, these are just jumping off points to help you find the positive benefits of keeping the weight and the emotional eating behaviors, but also what negative things would happen if you were to correct these issues. With those questions asked and answered, we want to dig just a little bit deeper and fine tune it. So I'm going to ask a question and I want you to just fill in the blank. So the first question is, I can't release weight because, and fill in the blank. Then for each answer, ask yourself why again. Try to dig down with at least five follow-up why questions. For example, this is how it might go for you. I can't release weight because... And your fill-in-the-blank answer might be, it's hard. Your follow-up why question might be, why is it hard? And your answer might be, because I would have to starve. So your follow-up why question to that would be, why would I have to starve? And your answer might be, because I can only release weight by starving myself. Do you see how this goes? At the bottom of these why questions and answers, you typically will come to the limiting belief. And in this case, my example, the limiting belief is I can only lose weight by starving myself. So here are some examples that I've heard from clients over the years. I'll never be skinny. It's just not possible for me. I will be deprived of my favorite foods. Everyone in my family is big. It's just in my genes. If I'm thin, my sister will be mad because she isn't. I'm afraid to lose weight and get hot because men will take advantage of me. I have a slow metabolism. I'm big boned. Even if I do lose weight, I can't keep it off. I'll have to torture myself to make it happen, and I just can't do that to myself anymore. And these are just examples, and they may not resonate with you at all, and that's okay. Hopefully you can see how this exercise is supposed to work. So what do you do when you've uncovered one of these little buggers? We want to start the rewriting and neutralization process. The first step is to seek out alternative evidence or an alternative explanation which undermines the validity of your untrue, false, or detrimental 
or irrational belief. You need to replace the evidence that you've been using to back up and support your false belief with evidence that says, yeah, that's not true. So, for example, if you believe that following an eating plan is hard, this belief may be backed up by some kind of evidence, like that time that you were eating two hard-boiled eggs a day and it was really hard, and you were really hungry when you did that, but you lost weight really quickly. And because you're totally impatient now, you think that starvation is the only way that you can release unwanted weight. But I want you to come up with some alternative, I want you to think back into your past and come up with some alternative eating plans that you may have tried that, while they may not have made you release weight overnight, were easy for you to maintain, that didn't interfere with your social life, that didn't inconvenience you too much. You may even think of times when you were ill and had no desire to eat and no appetite for it, and thus you naturally ate less. Keep in mind that this isn't about finding a plan from your past to follow or determining that you need to get mono again. Rather, it's to get your mind to focus on and realize that this belief that you may have may in fact be false. Another example, you may be thinking to yourself, I don't know why diets used to work, but they don't work for me anymore. I think my metabolism may be broken. And so this one is easier to attack if you are tracking food, tracking your weight and your measurements, things like that. Because if you are tracking those things, you may likely find days where you expected the scale to be up and it wasn't. Or you went on a cruise or a vacation for a week and ate whatever you wanted and came back and had only gained a pound. And for any reason that you struggle to refute you know, your limiting belief, you can always try and come up with an alternative explanation for why this may have happened or why that is your experience. As an example, with the broken metabolism, perhaps it's possible that you are having a mild inflammatory reaction to a food that you hadn't expected. Or perhaps that eyeballed amount of heavy whipping cream that you're tracking as one tablespoon is really closer to an ounce. Or maybe that ounce of nuts is really closer to two ounces. That lick off the spoon while you're cooking dinner counts. And perhaps you're just eating closer to your daily requirements for maintenance than you realize. Perhaps you can be more mindful and track better and see if that helps. Occasionally, you may get down into the shouldn'ts with your beliefs. And what I mean is, is you may be thinking, I shouldn't have to count and measure. I shouldn't have to weigh. I shouldn't have to limit or restrict or deprive. And you'll know you're there when it starts to sound a little bit whiny. And believe it or not, you have struck gold because those are your false or irrational beliefs. Because who says you shouldn't have to count? Whose rules? Where are those written? Who says you shouldn't have to limit or restrict or deprive? Where's that written down? There are people all over the planet who are going through restrictions and, you know, deprivation and denial. If the rules were written for you, wouldn't they apply to someone else? And while it's true that it may not be fair that you have to count while someone else doesn't, 
you do always have the option to not count and see what happens. Maybe it'll all work out. Now, the second step is to find evidence or proof that backs up the beneficial belief that you'd rather be believing. And depending on the belief that you're working with, you may already be working on this. And what I mean to say is, is that if you have looked in your past and have found proofs, you know, that it doesn't always have to be hard, then you're already proving to yourself that it can be easy. Right? Those can be your proofs that not only does it not have to be hard, but it can be easy. And the interesting thing here is that you don't have to just look for examples in your own life. You can use examples from friends, family, or even proof online, in forums, and in groups. The point is to reinforce the belief you want to build and borrow proof if you need to. It is important to make sure that you have adequately disputed your false belief before you try and swap it out for a new and improved one. If you try to skip that step, you'll be right back in the inner conflict, self-sabotage, pit of despair that you've been in. I've seen this work time and time again, and it works because we stand firm in the thoughts we believe are true until it's proven to us that they are false. And then we usually, easily, switch. As an example, if you believed all snakes were poisonous and I brought you a snake with no teeth, no fangs, and no venom and showed it to you, you could not continue to believe that all snakes were poisonous. So you want to look for proof of what you want to believe in your life, in the life of your friends, your companions, in, you know, look on Facebook if you need to, right? Read books about plans that you're considering trying, right? Because they're normally full of proof of, you know, ease and effortlessness. And then use that to reinforce the belief that you want to have. It's a lot easier to reinforce that positive belief when you don't have that negative belief in place. And so that's why it's so important to make sure that you've done your homework and properly disputed the negative or false or irrational belief that's at the heart of your self-sabotage. Okay, guys, I hope that this has been helpful for you today. This is a really fun exercise, even when you are you know, struggling with something really big, if you can step outside it for just a second and, you know, sit down and get, get real with it, right? Plan to get dirty, but also get excited because if you really get brutally honest, be willing to get your hands dirty, be willing to cry the tears if you need to, and do the work, the heavy lifting, you will come through the other side. You can change your beliefs, especially when you prove that those beliefs are false. And I have so many examples in my life. I, you know, I don't want to go into all of them here. I've changed so many of these fundamental, foundational beliefs I had about myself that you know my entire life was built upon them. And all I had to do was sit down and you know look at those those beliefs and see if I could find proof that those those beliefs were false and when I did my whole world changed I 
I realized that, ooh, wait a minute, this might not be true. Well, then so many of my other beliefs and behaviors and the way I thought about things, it just crumbled. And while that sounds scary, believe me, sounds scary, it really wasn't as terrifying as you might think. It was really exciting because it opened up a pathway for ease and new opportunities for thinking and uh, new experiences and new ways to have relationships with people that weren't defined by these you know, negative and rigid and false beliefs about who I was and who they were. Um, but this also applies to, you know, beliefs about, you know, relationships with food and relationships with my body. And so this is a really important exercise. I really hope that you'll take it to heart. If you have any questions or concerns or if you want someone to, you know, work with you through it, um, reach out to me. You can find me on Facebook at fb.me forward slash Coach Christy R. Hall or at my website, www.christyrhall.com. Thanks so much, and I will talk to you guys soon.